one of the first things I tell people is investing is not meant to be exciting. It's meant to help you achieve your financial and your life goals. And therefore, you should get educated. Read books like mine, people like John Bogle's or William Bernstein, another great author there. Those are the books that cite the academic research so you can learn. Learn what the research says. Take the time to understand the academic evidence that gives you the best chance of achieving your goals. Hello there, listeners. Welcome into your go-to podcast for your career, your money, and we, where we learn from people that have done amazing things in both. The Free Retiree Show. I'm your host, Wealth Manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and alongside my main pal, career advisor, interview coach, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? Welcome into a money management edition of The Free Retiree Show. For today's episode, we're going to be discussing the truth behind stock picking and learning how you invest like Warren Buffett. If you've listened to our podcast before, Serge, Maddie, and myself, we're not the biggest fans of stock picking and day trading as smart investment strategies, but there is a ton of people out there who think that it's a legitimate way and great way to build wealth. And with all the misinformation out there on trading systems and stock picking subscriptions, There's a lot of info out there and who's to tell what is the right way. And today we have a great resource on that's going to help us to mystify all that, Larry Swedrow. And we're also going to be talking about investing like Warren Buffett. Everyone's kind of enamored with Mr. Buffett. He is kind of known as the Babe Ruth, as you will, of investing. And everyone wants to know what his strategy is like and make sense of it. And like I said, we have one of the best people coming on. We're blessed, Serge. We got Larry Swedro, who's literally one of the best experts in the world on academic-based investing. He is the chief research officer at Buckingham Strategic Partners. He has dedicated his life to educating investors and financial professionals on the benefits of evidence-based investing. And Serge, check this out. In total, he's done 19 books. I mean, crazy. crazy. This guy, this guy loves That's to insane. write. And so again, how'd you find this guy? You know what? I can't, like everyone, I keep telling them this is Oprah, and then we dupe him and we get him. <laughs> That's how we get this high quality, uh, these high quality guests. But Good Larry, fine. he's been on NBC, CNBC, uh, CNN, Bloomberg Personal Finance. So, Serge, what are you excited to ask Larry today? Yeah, no, this is great stuff on stock picking. I always joke, I've randomly picked the AMC craze. Yeah, we got to like, ask Larry about your AMC picks and your GameStop picks. We, we joke, people made a lot of money off it, but it's not <laughs> the long-term strategy, right? It's something I found interesting when researching Larry is this idea of like, it's based off academic research and not opinions. So exactly. I like things that are based off fact versus opinion. So I'm excited just to hear more from him. And I think there just needs to be more of that in the mainstream. Yeah, exactly. Like we're all about like, hey, like there's a lot of stuff out there. We know there's a lot of BS out there, but you got to listen to people that know their stuff and have academic research backing what they say. And this is that guy. So I'm going to take a quick break. But before you do so, make sure you smash that like button. If you got a question for us, financial related, career related, legal related, or even a question for Larry, make sure you send to ask at thefreeretiree.com. Taking a quick break, but when we're back, we're sitting down with Larry Swedro. 
Welcome back into the Free Retiree Show. We are sitting down with the man, the myth, the legend, the Derek Jeter of investing, Mr. Larry Swedro. Larry, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We are happy to have you. You know why I chose you as the Derek Jeter of uh, investing? It's my second hero after Mickey Mantle. So <laughs> yeah, I know you're Bronx. Yeah, from you the know Bronx, what? right? But but this is what I thought about. Derek Jeter, not a flashy player, not smashing a lot of home runs, but great on offense and legit defense. Five-time Gold Glove winner, and of course, I know that you like the Yankees. So yeah. that that was my comparison. But just to start us off today, done a lot of research about you. I know that. You were top of your class at NYU, and I know this is, could be uh, truth. This could be uh, fiction, but I heard that you picked NYU because you didn't have to write a thesis paper as part <laughs> of the requirements of going there. Is that true? Is that yeah, it, it, it's true. I didn't know if I uh, wanted to and had the skill to write a book or a thesis. So NYU had an innovative program at the time where my other choice was Columbia. Columbia had to do a thesis. NYU allowed you to participate in a game where you ran a company on a computer that was really new at the time. And I was put together with a team of five people where I became the chief financial officer, how to put together spreadsheets and negotiate loans with the banks and run our cash management, put together financial projections and those things. And I thought that would be a lot more practical, but it was also a fear of having to write a thesis. So that is true, not fiction. Nin- and 19 then books the, later. The huh? 19 books later, that's what we we're going to. <laughs> we got to figure out how did the 19 books later come? Yeah, well, it was kind of interesting when I joined Buckingham Asset Management now 25 years ago. At the time, it was really at the forefront of a revolution in finance. And I'll just uh, give a little color here. I really got very lucky in my career. I've kind of been like Woody Allen's Zealot character who appears in that movie and all these famous points in history. I started out working for CBS in their international finance area right when the Bretton Woods Agreement had broken down and now you had floating exchange rates and people had to manage a risk they never had to manage before. And they hired me right out of my MBA program to help them do that. So was lucky in the right place there. Two years later, Citicorp hired me because in the land of the blind, a one-eyed man is king. I had all of two years experience at CBS and they were looking to put together a consulting team to help others innovate that. Uh, A couple of years later, they sent me out to San Francisco to help run and start up an investment banking operation, consulting multinationals. And part of that work became... I got heavily involved in the development of some of the first, what Warren Buffett called weapons of mass financial destruction. These derivatives, at the time, they were interest rate ceilings and collars and floors and same thing for foreign exchange rates. So that was a big second revolution. And then a few years later, my boss left the investment bank to join Citicorp Homeowners, Inc. It was a big revolution started by Louis Ranieri at Solomon Brothers. On the mortgage banking side, 
securitizing home mortgages that were private backed as opposed to Fannie and Freddie. And then he hired me to join them. So that was another revolution. And then when we sold, I left to join Prudential Home Mortgage, helped build that to the largest mortgage company in the country, tied with countrywide you know, a much more well-known name. We eventually sold that company and I was going to go retire and try to teach. I had guest lectured at Stanford and some other places and I really enjoyed that. And friends of mine were start, had just literally started a RIA or registered investment advisory firm. And they told me what they were doing and they were great financial planners, but they had no background in managing risk. And I had run foreign exchange trading rooms. I had managed interest rate risk. For the mortgage company, credit risk, I advise some of the largest multinational corporations in the world on all kinds of risk. And now we had this next revolution in finance with Farmer and French changing the world from what used to be a single factor or CAPM, where beta really explained everything, to now we had other factors that helped explain returns, size and value, meaning value companies versus growth companies and small versus large companies. And when I joined them, there was no uh, marketing material that really they had to explain this revolution. So I said, okay, let me sit down and put together a brochure so we could have something to explain to clients what this was all about. So I put together a 40-page brochure And then I went to look, well, we really need a book to be able to give people. I went and looked around, went to the libraries and when there were bookstores, the only book really on the subject that I thought was any worthwhile was Bert Malkiel's great book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, but it was very thick and it didn't tell you what to do with the information. So I decided, okay, I'll take a crack at writing a book. I had a 40-page outline in effect. And so I spent the next two years writing that book. And then one book led to the next and to the next and the next. You learned you liked it. You like, you're and like, I, I, enjoyed, I, think I, I can do this thing. I love to read and research the literature and then write it up and educate people about because that's really what I enjoy doing. I always wanted to be a teacher And I was actually going for my doctorate where I would have had to write a thesis. But at the time I lived in New York City and I had to take a subway through Harlem in the South Bronx and the subways were just gotten too dangerous. I sat next to somebody who was stabbed one time. And (laughs) the last few months, I had my mother drive down from the Bronx to pick me up at school. I've gotten so so. I never did finish my doctorate, never did get to teach. So now that's what I've been doing is educating investors for the last 25 years. Right? Teaching millions though through your, through your writing. Hopefully so, millions. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I go that far, but yes. <laughs> Hundreds yeah. of thousands for sure. For sure. For sure. So let's start off our conversation on day trading, stock picking. I mean- Everywhere you go on the internet, there's people that are the stock picking gurus. They have these systems. Obviously, you're probably well familiar with a guy like Jim Cramer, who's telling people to pick stocks, right? I'm sure he's a thorn in your side <laughs> for everything you stand for. But give us, give the listeners a little bit on like your thoughts of like day trading and if it's a strategy that's going to lead to success or failure. Yeah, well, I think the most important thing for people to begin a conversation like this is to 
learn to look at what we call evidence or the science of investing rather than opinions or anecdotal evidence. So if I might use this analogy, so let's imagine that you were sick, you're not feeling well, and it, you're not terribly ill, but it's getting kind of worse and you're getting a little worried. So after a couple of weeks, you call your doctor, he puts you through a series of tests, calls you into his office, and then says, here's the results, what we found, turns around and pulls out a copy of Men's Health and says, based on my reading of what this magazine says, here's what I think your condition is here, where, how's he going to treat you? Then he pulls out a copy of Reader's Digest and points to another piece. How are you feeling? <laughs> be, yeah, be a little no, concerned. No, with yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'd be a little concerned, right? <laughs> yeah. So instead, what you do is you get a second opinion, you go to another doctor. This time she puts you through a similar battery of tests, shows you the results and turns around and pulls out the New England Journal of Medicine and says, here's what the research on your condition says. It's a 70% likelihood this is your condition and here's the best way to treat it. If that doesn't work, then this other course of action will likely solve the problem and that's what we're going to do. You're feeling a lot better. You have peer-reviewed academic research. And in our world, the equivalent of the first is Jim Cramer, CNBC, Barron's, you know, tells you no before Wall Street, right? And stuff. And the, and the equivalent of the New England Journal of Medicine are things like the Journal of Portfolio Management and the Journal of Finance. So everything we at our firm do and everything in my writings is based upon this academic evidence Many of my books cite over 100 peer-reviewed studies that cite that. So here's what we know. Certainly, trying to pick stocks and time the market is exciting. It's why people go to Las Vegas. It's why they bet on sports, even though they know with certainty the odds are against them when they go into that casino in Vegas, especially at the games like roulette and others, where you don't have that skill involved like you might in poker, where you can maybe overcome the house odds, the vigorous they take from, from the table. But they play anyway because it's exciting. And picking stocks can be exciting. Mm -hmm. But I tell people, by the way, if you need excitement from your life, from picking stocks and trying to time the market, and I say it with a bit of tongue in cheek, you might think about getting another life. I get my <laughs> excitement from life from taking a walk in the park with my wife, reading books to my grandkids. Uh, I want real excitement. I go whitewater rafting, getting out on the tennis court. So that's one thing. But the evidence shows very clearly that while it's certainly possible to beat the market, the vast majority of institutional, sophisticated investors, money managers with PhDs from the top business schools, underperform with great persistence. And the research on individual investors is far worse. They tend to trade too much, and every trade on average they make costs them money. And men do worse than women because what I call the testosterone factor. Men tend to be confident of skills they don't have. Women simply know better. In fact, it's so powerful so that married women do worse than single women. 
And married men tend to do a little better than single men because their tempers wow. get uh, dampened a little bit. And by the way, you mentioned Jim Cramer was studied along with a group of about 60 leading forecasters. And they found the distribution of their ability to forecast was very much like a bell curve that you would expect randomly a few to outperform. The majority of them underperformed. Fit, less than 50% of their picks were right. Kramer was near the bottom third of the market. You know, he was at like 46%. And two papers independently found this. Here's what happened when Kramer picks a stock or recommends it. He typically does it, on, you know, let's say at five o'clock or whatever your time zone you're in. He recommends a stock. And the next prices are the stock jumps up because naive retail money thinks Kramer knows something that the market didn't already know. And then the sophisticated investors come in, short the stock, driving it back down. And the individual investors lose by trading on Kramer and the institutions win. So Kramer was a very smart guy, but I think is very bad advice because he's telling people in effect that he can outperform the market. And the research even on his own pick shows that's simply not likely to be true. Yeah, there's just so much of that out there. Not just him, but uh, a lot of these like, subscriptions. They What I realized is they give you these stock picks and then they give you the newsletter next month and they're like, oh, if you looked at our picks, they did this percent and this percent. But the thing is, they never tell you when they actually got in the time when they got in it's all about like well this is the bottom this is the top look at from the month that we recommended and it's like it's such a skewed way to look at the data so yeah. you actually was actually a study on value lines picks which they boasted had significantly outperformed this study is quite old now but the study found the same kind of effect that i mentioned with jim kramer value line sent its picks out on a friday night and then benchmark their returns based upon Friday's close. So what would happen is all these value line subscribers would get the newsletter and buy the stock. It would jump up for a couple of days, whatever, and then it would the outperformance would immediately disappear. So they looked like they were outperforming, but the reality was there was no outperformance. Hey, Larry, I was thinking of something as you were talking about the excitement that I think people have with stock picking right now, whether it's YouTube or TikTok or Jim Cramer, whatever his name is, how can, like knowing what we know, like young people don't have the attention span. We just don't, right? To think, like people younger than Lee and I, to think long-term, to think about the facts, the research that you do, you're doing. What do you think like people like you and people that are about facts, like how can we bring more of that into social media, into the, on TV, on TikTok, on YouTube? So that young people really understand it because right now they're just listening to what they see on these quick 30 second clips on like on social media. Great tragedies in the U.S. is that our education system has totally failed the American public when it comes to teaching them about investing. Unless you get an MBA in finance, not just an MBA, but it has to be in finance, it's highly likely you've not taken a single course 
in capital markets theory. So you don't know what you don't know about investing, if you will. And so you get your, quote, education from Kramer, the media, and all this hype, the shoe shine salesman, uh, the guy who signs your shoes at the airport, that kind of story, (laughs) right? So one of the first things I tell people is, Investing is not meant to be exciting. It's meant to help you achieve your financial and your life goals. And therefore, you should get educated. Read books like mine, people like John Bogles or William Bernstein, another great author there. Those are the books that cite the academic research so you can learn. So that's number one. Learn what the research says. Take the time to understand the academic evidence that gives you the best chance of achieving your goals. But secondarily, I tell people this story. When I was growing up, my dad loved to go to the racetrack. He wasn't a big better because we couldn't afford it, but he stuck with betting two bucks. And if he was having a good day, he might bet five and stuff. And I followed in that tradition when you know I was in college, sometimes we'd get done with classes by 12 o'clock and my friends and I'd get out on the subway and we'd go out to Aqueduct Racetrack to catch maybe five or six races. And sometimes these guys were betting 10 or 20 bucks a race and I thought they were crazy. I would bet two bucks. The five or six races, it was 10 or 12 bucks and a couple of bucks to get in wasn't the end of the world, but those were hard-earned dollars for me. I had a job after school to help pay for my books and tuition and stuff. And what I found, of course, was they didn't cheer any harder than I did. I got just as excited with my $2 bet as they did. So if you need excitement or like playing the market, take one or 2% of your portfolio, certainly no more than five or 10, and go pick a few stocks, And hopefully you'll do okay. That way, at least if you get it wrong, you won't go broke and maybe you'll get some lessons. But the worst lesson that I've found people get is when their first few times they do it, they hit it big, get a win. Let's say maybe they bought some game stock and they learned the wrong things, right? So you're much better off if your first few attempts, you lose your shirt and you are then dissuaded from that that was cheap education. Exactly. So learning how to invest like Warren Buffett, everyone looks at him as the guy that, you know, is the best investor around. What can we learn from how he invests? And what is your thoughts on it? Well, I did write a book, Think, Act and Invest Like Warren Buffett. And I wrote that book because I found one of the great anomalies in the world of investing was that while if you asked almost any investor who's the greatest investor of all time, the likely answer, probably 90% of the people would say Warren Buffett. And yet, when you ask them how they invested, they tended to not only ignore Buffett's advice, which he gives you very freely in his annual letters and on TV interviews, they tend to do exactly the opposite. And so when I was having discussions, meeting with prospective clients or just talking with friends, I would try to explain the academic evidence to them and they would become what I would call tone deaf. Didn't matter what all the evidence said, I could cite 50 studies, it wouldn't matter. They had this particular view. 
So finally, I decided evidence wasn't enough. Let me see if I could use the Buffett example, because I know most people revered them. And then I would say, okay, and I would walk them through this exercise. So I would ask them who the greatest investor of all time was. And they say, Buffett. I say, okay, if Buffett offered you his advice, do you think you should follow it? And of course, they say yes. So then I ask them, well, what does Warren Buffett have to say about trying to time the market, which lots of people do, okay? And he, he, as he explains, he says, never try to time the market. But if you can't resist, buy when everyone is panicked and selling and there's blood on the streets and be a seller when everyone else is being euphoric. And that's exactly the opposite of what most people do. All the research shows that individual investors on average are performance chasers. So they buy after stocks have gone way up thinking it's safe, and then they panic and sell when things turn bad because they're gonna afraid it's going to get much worse. So that's the first thing. And then I suggest, okay, how about picking individual stocks? Warren Buffett says you're much better off simply owning an index fund, and he actually put in his will, his trust, all the money is to, to go to an S&P 500 index fund and treasury bills. But he advises people basically to be a passive investor and just long-term view. And then he adds, of course, he's been a value investor. So buying what's cheap generally has outperformed. And of course, the younger generations get caught up in the hype of the moment. So in the late 90s, they were buying all the dot-coms stocks and then got burned when they all blew up. And now they're all buying the Kathy Woods, the meme stocks and all this stuff. And I think yeah. they're likely to end up with very similar results. So again, people were doing exactly the opposite of what Buffett is doing. So I wrote the book to say, here, read this and tell me what you think. So. The value investing. Uh, for a lot of our listeners, we're not like as savvy as you are on the value side of things. Can you explain value? Because, you know, sometimes some people might think, well, is that a penny stock? Am I, am I hunting for those? Is that what my value is? What, what to you, definition, high quality value stock? Well, you added another important term there, so which is high quality. And Warren Buffett is an interesting story here. It's worth going through that to answer your question. So Warren Buffett had been telling the world how he had been successful for decades, okay? But academic researchers didn't catch up with Warren Buffett until many decades after he'd already been successful. So Buffett had been telling the world he bought stocks that were high quality and low price. So but his first focus was make sure it's a low price and then higher quality stocks. So then that those companies had more stable earnings. So the earnings weren't jumping up and down, more stable dividends. They were high quality in the sense they didn't have a lot of financial leverage. Okay, so not a lot of debt on their books, which of course helps them fight through longer periods. And they have, if you will, what's the other? The volatility of their earnings also was dampened because of the lack of financial and operating leverage. 
Warren Buffett ignored his own advice on occasion because airlines have high operating leverage, which mm-hmm. means as their capacity goes up and down, their earnings jump much more. So if volume of traffic goes down 10% because airlines have a lot of fixed costs, their earnings might go down 20% and vice versa. Traffic goes up 10%, earnings jump much more because the next passions in a plane might cost only 20 bucks in fuel and food where you're getting three or 400 from the ticket. So that's what Buffett had bought. So the academics, Fama and French were the first to discover, if you will, building this model showed that value stocks had outperformed and they built on some research that was done in the 80s showing that companies that had lower prices to earnings, low prices to cash flow, low prices to dividends, sales, it didn't matter what the metric was. If the price was cheap, they tended to outperform. And when those papers came out, that helped explain a a significant portion of Buffett's outperformance. In other words, you could just buy all of the stocks that had those characteristics, for argument's sake, let's say buy the stocks whose PEs are 10 or less. And when the market is, say, 15 P, so you're buying those depressed stocks. But still, Buffett would have outperformed that benchmark. But those, small, those value stocks had beaten the market by about 3% a year. Then the academics went back to work because they still couldn't explain all of Buffett's outperformance. So you could think of this as reverse engineering. And they went and found that there were other traits or characteristics that they could identify that could replicate Buffett's performance. Obviously, you can't replicate his brain, but maybe you don't need to know everything he knows, just what are the traits. In other words, if you could identify those traits that say 100 stocks had, and you bought all 100, you could match Buffett's performance even though he only picked 10. If that was true, then Buffett's genius was not stock picking, it was identifying traits and characteristics. So there were two papers, one was called Buffett's Alpha and the other Betting Against Beta, that found that there were these common traits that I mentioned. There were stocks, You avoided stocks that were were called high beta, much more speculative, much more volatile in the market. People love to buy these stocks that are really high flyers, hoping to hit the lottery, and that leads to them becoming overpriced. So if you could avoid those high flyers, you could improve returns. So Buffett, of course, avoids those high flyers. And then you could buy stocks that were higher quality that I mentioned, more stable uh, earnings, more stable dividends, and low operating and low financial leverage. And once you did that, Buffett's alpha virtually disappears. And the funds that we recommend to our clients today all are managed by people that employ these screens So you can invest just like Warren Buffett by simply investing in funds run by companies like Dimensional Fund Advisors, AQR Capital, Bridgeway, and BlackRock, and some others as well. And you could do it very cheaply. And you don't have to spend any time doing research, staying up late at night, going on computers. You can spend much more time with your family and focusing on the really important things in life what I call the big rocks, and you can virtually match Buffett's performance. Yeah, that's great. 
That sounds pretty simple. We can both be Warren Buffett's. Lee. It is pretty simple. I've been doing it. Now. I used to be a stock picker and a market timer. I that was what I wanted to be a security analyst and portfolio match. What I trained for. In fact, at Baruch College, I got the Wall Street Journal Award as the most likely to succeed yeah. in finance and invest. And now I'm sort of the antichrist of, of Wall Street, if you will, because I learned based upon my own anecdotal evidence. I, on occasion, hit home runs, and I thought it was genius. And when I hit did something that did poorly, it was unlucky. Well, and I realized, based upon reading the research, that wasn't the case. The right strategies was simply to find the traits that have yeah. provided above market returns in the long term and invest that way in a passive way that's low cost and tax efficient, and then go enjoy your life. So I spend zero time picking stocks, trying to time the market, and I get to spend a lot more time with family, friends, playing games with my grandkids, reading great books, and the more important things in life. Yeah, it's awesome. You're still getting a solid outcome, and you're not <laughs> looking at charts all day, and yeah. <laughs> never spend a minute looking at any of that stuff. Yeah, what what I've been hearing through this conversation is get educated and be patient. I think my generation and, and people younger than us, it's all about this instant gratification. We want it now, Larry. You want it? We want the hundred x ROI today, and it's not realistic. Yeah, there's right. actually uh, I write for those who are interested in the. Uh, academic evidence. I write for three websites, Alpha Architect, which is really for the geeks of the world, the people who are really interested in the deep academic research, advisor perspectives, uh, and then evidence-based investor. And I just had a piece out today. It was interesting you mentioned this instant gratification. There's actually interesting studies on comparing sports betting with investors and show that both types of people who engage in picking individual stocks and betting on sports are subject to that instant gratification, recency bias, yep. buying, for example, teams that won last week and surprised on the upside, they overvalue them and teams that did poorly last week, they undervalue them. And the same thing is true with stocks. If something's done poorly, for one, two, or three years, then everyone panics and sells and gets out. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what Warren Buffett is doing. After two or three years of bad performance, he wants to load up because now the stocks are typically much cheaper and therefore have higher expected returns. Fantastic. So Larry, if people want to get a book that you've done that, that can give them more insight into the evidence-based investing, maybe talk about three-factor model, where would you have them start? Like, I know you've written a lot. Yeah. Well, it depends on your level of knowledge. Uh, certainly you can go to Amazon, find all of the books that I've written. But for those who are sort of beginning investors, I would suggest books like Think, Act, and Invest like Warren Buffett. It's a real short, simple, easy read that might entice you to want to learn more. If you're really interested in the more sophisticated, higher level stuff, I wrote two books, one called Your Complete Guide to Factor-Based Investing. Larry, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. You dropped some amazing gems for us. And just from listening to you, just like, I know a lot of these things just because I get to read a lot of your work. So thank you. But it just comes down to like common sense data, not having to stress about trying to find the next best thing. I mean, it's just actually, it's just, it's a relief to know that there's 
strategies that are backed by science that are out there that people can feel comfort with. So thank you so much for all the work you're doing. It's been a, it's been a joy to have you on our podcast. Well, thank you. Let me maybe finish with this story. As I've mentioned, I've been the chief research officer for Buckingham now for 25 years. And what I can tell you is that many of our clients say, look, Larry, we've been really pleased with the results we've had, the returns, but the biggest thing you've done for us is give us peace of mind. We know we have a well-thought-out plan. We stick with it. We don't pay any attention anymore to the markets and watching Jim Cramer, and we get to enjoy our lives. One, someone who became a friend, told me that his wife sat down and calculated that before they became clients, He was spending the equivalent of six weeks a year focused on researching stocks, following the charts and everything. He gave it up and recaptured six weeks a year of his life. That's priceless. So that made me feel that all the work that I do and all the effort put into helping educate investors was well worth it. Yeah, what a way to end it. That's great. All right, listeners, you've been listening to the Fruits Ari Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA at www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org. A separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.